Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Nate Lighthizer. We discussed geographic atrophy and macular degeneration treatments that are now FDA approved and coming forward. We also talked about intravitreal injections, which is a ton of fun to kind of think through what the future will hold, both for patients and then also for the profession. If you haven't heard Nate, uh, you really need to listen to him beyond just the conversations that I have with him. He is an expert in our field related to surgical management of patients with lumps and bumps and glaucoma care and post-operative cataract complications like uh, capsulotomies and like uh, posterior capsular opacities. But even beyond that, he is, he is well thought out in his reasoning. He dives deep into the literature. I always love to, to catch up with him. So Please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromycel technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, Check it out for yourself by contacting your MacuHealth representative. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to build with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be built together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients, and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education, for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, nope. I, I figured that, you know, since this was, you know, I guess it's technically surgical because we're discussing an intravitreal injection, um, that it was pertinent to kind of the Nate Lighthizer surgical minute. And uh, what I was hoping to kind of discuss is, you know, I was at a, uh, a retinal conference um, 
Actually, what it was is a whole bunch of retinal surgeons who are in a private equity group. They got together, they wanted insights from optometry, how to better support referrals, etc. So there were about four of us there. And, um, and it was the week or two after um, this medication, Cyforva, Cyforva, you know how to say it? I, I don't know the plan. Pegcetacoplan, peg Pegcetacoplan, okay. you know, that's what Probably I've learned. better than I did. Copeland, yeah. uh, but Sifilver, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, could be, yeah. Either way, anyway, it's not the best name, you know, because it's harder to, but that's how they go, right? Yep. Um, so in any case, uh, it had just been approved maybe the week or two before. And my impression of it was, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to fit. And, and actually the group, the group of retinal surgeons were like 50, 50, you know, one hand of the group was like, well, anything we can do to slow down the progression of GA fine. And then the other group was, okay, well, no, there's going to be some drawbacks. We don't know exactly where it's going to fit. So that's what I hope we, we would discuss today and what, what you think it is. And the last thing I thought of, and this is where I want to get your perspective from a surgical standpoint as well, is um, the these guys do, are not going to have the time to do this many injections. No, and that's – I pulled up an article here, and I'm, I'm trying to – I'm looking at where they uh, – where did they say it? Um, Dr. Hahn, who's um, – this is an MD uh, in Iowa, uh, he said – Dr. Hahn explained that many practices are already strained with high injection burden from wet AMD. I mean, they're admitting it going, man, the burden is incredible with these intravitreal injections for wet AMD. And now we're adding another indication in here. Um, we know uh, PAs, nurse practitioners uh, and, and PAs are doing this. I think ODs are well equipped to, to start to handle this burden. So we'll, we'll see uh, down the road how that how that shakes out. But as the technology gets better and better, and we know this is the first one from Apellus, Iveric Bio ha- is, a, is the next one that's coming with another medication uh, probably six months out. Um, so as this gets more and more, um, you know, will this fall into OD's wheelhouse potentially? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, you're going to see one of two things happen because the system will absolutely break. You know, we're talking about obviously scope of practice now, but um, either MDs will incorporate, you know, retinal surgeons are going to have to incorporate more uh, PAs and nurse practitioners into their practice to do nothing but push medications Um, and probably even interpret whether or not, you know, fit a standard protocol. You know, a patient is at treat and extend or every month or bi-monthly injections, depending on their medication, their FDA-approved medication, or quarterly injections. And they're just going to follow that protocol and just bing, 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 bing. Doesn't matter. We're going to look at their scans really quickly, inject, inject. And and so, um, or, you know, obviously it's going to have to be done in the hands of optometry. And you and I know that there's nobody better trained to do that. Um, and, it, you know, it's going to have to happen. It's just how tightly they're going to hold on to that, to that little grip of power. Yeah, or major grip of power. Yeah, as you know, it's a slippery slope, and that's their argument in many states: is we can't let you do this because then you're going to want to do that. But you know, again, I I, th- I agree with you. The system is going to break at some point, and we j- they can't handle the load of this. And um, I think it's time for optometry. I mean, you know, I have an interest. I know of other faculty members that go, man, we could be well equipped to to help these patients get more local treatment, more timely treatment. Um, so I, I think it, you know. 
who would have thought 50 years ago optometry would be doing what we're doing today? So may, it may be tough for most of us. I think you and my, me may be excluded, but many of us, maybe even us as well, it may be tough going, man, are we going to be doing intravitreal injections? That may be tough to imagine today, but it was tough to imagine laser procedures 40, 50 years ago, and now look where it's at. Um, so I think it's evolving, and um, who knows where we'll be in 5, 10, 15 years, if not sooner. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, to your point, it's, you know, you and I would might be considered cowboys to some, but, but the reality is, is that, um, you know, when I think about doing an intravitreal injection, there would be a lot of stuff. I, I'd want to go over a ton of cases with a guy right next to me. I mean, just, just thinking about what, you know, what are the, what are the risks? Okay. What, how do I place it there? What if I place it there? You know what I mean? Like you just get more comfortable with it, but but certainly it's it's at that that threshold of, of something that technically optometrists can perform and ought to if the, the training is appropriate. Well, you and I both know that we as a profession, and I think you and I included, we are a conservative bunch. We're not going to be just jump, hey, give me a needle, I'm going to start, you know, shove it into people's eyes. We would want to be incredibly well trained. Oh, yeah. Before we would jump into this, just like the things that we do now. I mean, our our 32-hour advanced procedures course is so above and beyond what any ophthalmologists get in terms of formal training for this, um, you know, as they added these new procedures. I've had so many tell me they just got kind of thrown in. There's the SLT laser. There's the YAG cap. Figure it out. Um, yeah, read the book night before. We, we had an ophthalmologist that attended our course when we gave it in London in the UK and said, this was the best laser training that I've ever seen before. I wish we had had this when we when I got trained on lasers way back when. But So we know that if this were to ever come about down the road, whether it's 25 years or five years, that we would be incredibly well trained. We probably would involve ophthalmology in this. Um, you know, I know, you know, Leo Scorin, I did a four month rotation with him and that was my first experience into intravitreal injections, uh, watching him do these. And it was fascinating. This is back in 2008 and he was doing yeah. a bunch of these then. So, uh, yeah, the, the training evolves and we would certainly uh, be well trained on that uh, before this would ever happen, if it were to happen down the road. Yeah. Well, so let's let's uh, let's pause that because we could go on and on. Sure. Um, yeah. But for the for Cyphora, 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 the tell me your impression. So when I look at the study, you know, if I remember correctly, it is a 27 percent reduction in geographic atrophy size um, or, or or actually what was it? It was 27 percent of patients had a reduction, a slowing of their progression of GA. Am I remembering this correctly? It was a few weeks ago that I read this. Yeah, it didn't reverse anything. It, it didn't, um, you know, it, it slowed the progression. You know, it didn't stop it. It didn't halt it there. It depended on whether it was monthly or every other month. It, you know, they did multiple studies, the Derby and the Oak study. Um, some of them were every month. Some of them were every other month. Um, and it ranged between about 17% up to 32%, a slowing of progression, depending on what time period they looked at and depending on whether it was every month or every other month. Uh, the highest percentage that I saw was a 36% reduction in the rate of progression if they had it every month, if the injection was every month 
and the biggest benefit was between 18 and 24 month point time period. So I think one of the take home points is this is not a, a one time injection or you get it every month for three months or six months. It was uh, this is going to take a year to two years to see the maximum benefit, at least based on the trial. Uh, so much to be learned still on this, but we haven't had anything before this. And now we have something for GA that at least slows the progression in some. And so, you know, to, to think about that, I mean, certainly this is going to be, uh, I mean, I, I don't I hate to speculate on how expensive the medication is going to be, but it's going to be expensive for sure, which means, you know, you're going to have, and you probably already looked at that. So you probably I, I have. Tell you how expensive it's going to be. I found yeah, it last how, time. I was yeah. Happy. How expensive is it going to be? Um, it will be marketed under the brand name Sifover, whatever, however we pronounce that, and will be priced at $2,190 per vial, the company announced on Friday. So twenty one ninety. Uh, yeah. So nearly so twenty two hundred bucks for yep. two years every month. That's fifty grand, basically. Yeah, and then again they will tailor it. You know, I read one thing where it said, okay, it's going to take six to eight vials to start to see the best effect. So maybe they do it monthly for a while, and then every other month. But even at eight vials at twenty two hundred dollars, you're still approaching twenty grand uh, for a treatment. So certainly there's going to be a, a cost factor in this as well. I want to discuss the MyDay Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be available in the parameters I want, and it also needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The MyDay Toric lens features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market, the Biofinity Toric. MyDay Torque now completely mirrors Biofinity Torque's parameter range, and to be clear, this means that if you can find a parameter in the Biofinity Torque, you can find it in the MyDay Torque. This Torque lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting processes. When prescribing MyDay contact lenses, you can feel confident about your environmental impact because for every MyDay contact lens sold in the United States, CooperVision's partner, Plastic Bank, collects and converts an equal amount of ocean-bound plastic through their global network. The MyDay Multifocal and MyDay Toric contact lenses will provide your patients with great vision quality and comfortable lens experience, all while making a difference in our environment. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. One of the challenging things with patients is that when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and customized lenses, occasionally it can be difficult to keep those lenses clean, scratch-free, and smudge-free. Now, we have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients a best-in-class anti-reflective coating that is also resistant to scratches, smudges, and deposits. This means that patients spend more time enjoying clear and comfortable vision and less time caring for their lenses. So remember that you can provide patients with the best-in-quality, best-in-class, transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com backslash Crizal.
You know, my clinical, so, so then the downside is, as I recall that there is about 13% of patients that transferred to wet macular degeneration or converted to wet. But in the, in the placebo group, there was like, I don't know, 5% or seven. So the difference was maybe a 7% difference. So it's a number needed to harm from dry to wet of something like one in 12, if I remember correct. Is that, am I thinking about that right? That, that's what, what I remember as well is, yeah, there's a slight uptick in conversion to, you know, wet macular degeneration. So obviously, you know, we'll have to decide as clinicians if the patient is wet in one eye and has geographic atrophy in the other, will that be an indication or not? Because you certainly wouldn't want their one remaining if they have extra foveal GA. Yeah likely still have pretty good vision then, you know, would we want them to be one of that seven or eight percent that then converts into wet when the other eye is already gone from wet? So those are the questions I think we're going to have to figure out uh, going forward since it's only been approved for, you know, two to three weeks at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think and the last question is, and, and you know, you might have some other points that, that you've thought through, but, you know, as I'm thinking clinically about this, the conversion from dry to wet is is a major one. The other one is, you know, it probably makes sense if you've got patients that have central, you know, subfoveal geographic atrophy um, and, you know, they're 2030 to 2040 and they have still really good, you know, parafoveal uh, or or um, eccentric viewing capabilities where they can get some usable vision. You know, these are really rare cases, as you know. You know, it probably makes some sense, not a lot of downside to that in the sense of like if that patient converts to wet, they convert to wet. They had no central vision anyway. But if you've got um, and we can we know we can get that better, you know, we can know we can shrink that up for sure. So even if they go from 2050 to 2100 because of wet or 2200, we could probably get them close to 2050 again. So probably not a lot of downside. My thought is those other patients that might longer term be more beneficial to use this medication are those patients that have non-subfoveal geographic atrophy because you don't want that non-subfoveal GA to kind of invade into the subfoveal space. The challenge there is those patients could be 2025, 2020. You know, uh, they're certainly not functioning normally, but they could have a really robust central phobia. And now all of a sudden we have a bigger risk. So, but then at the same time, you know, they could benefit because you don't want that GA to spread. So that is, I don't know if you've thought more about that, but that's kind of the uncertainties in all of this where it's not just an easy gut referral, you know? Correct. Yeah. And I think it's all going to be, we all have different risk tolerances. What's our risk threshold? I mean, if this was your parent or my parent and they had that exact situation that you just described, you know, they have extra foveal GA, their vision's pretty darn good, but we've all had patients that went from pretty darn good vision to there went the GA and over the course of a number of visits, now they've got central and they went from what, 2025, 2030 to now they're worse than 2100, correct? You've had that yep. patient. Yep. I've had that yep. patient. Could this help? Yes you're going to have that same risk of, yeah, we injected them. They were one of the small percentages that converted to wet. If it was me and my parent, I would say that's worth the risk because if you go to 2400 with central GA, we ain't getting that back at this point. Versus if you go wet, we at least have Avastin, Lucentis, Ilea, that can bring you back hopefully a little bit. So I would lean more towards the towards the injection and we'll deal with the complication. But again, that that's all depends on our risk tolerance and, and the individual patient. Yeah, I, I think that's the, I mean, that's the, 
that is the um, that's going to be where we find out how this works. And then, you know, down the road, we also have the the capabilities. I know that wait, were they in phase three yet or just it, just finishing up phase two? But we have some light based therapies uh, that is that are being explored for uh, for category three. I can't remember if GA was involved in it. I've got to go back and look. But anyway, you know, I think, I I think it was. It's a company yeah. called Lumathera studying Lumathera, a treatment yep. and they are finished with phase three. So they are yeah. that, that actually has been submitted to the FDA at this point. It's not FDA approved, but using photobiomodulation for dry AMD, inclu- I believe, including geographic atrophy. So there's another potential treatment down the road um, to help these patients. Yep. Yeah, I think the company thinks they're going to get approval. Which is a whole other conversation to have, but I think they think they're getting they think they're getting approval, and um, so they must know that the results are probably pretty powerful. In that case, you know, as long as it, I can't imagine there's a ton of downside. I don't know if I, I haven't seen much downside being reported just yet, but um, you know, I think the ultimate the thing is, you know, macular degeneration. Our abilities for intervention are continuing to evolve, and it's pretty exciting stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I wonder if we will look back 20 years from now and, and think, you know, we think back 30 years ago in glaucoma when there was no SLT and there was no MIGs and there was no prostaglandins, you know, way back when you're treating with pilocarpine and now we go, well, look how it's evolved. And I wonder if that's what we'll look at 20, 30 years from now when it comes to macular degeneration going, remember when we just had to give them eye vitamins and that was, that was it. And we watched them lose vision uh, hopefully that's the case 20 years from now is, is we can look back and go, man, we're glad we don't have to do it like we did it back then. And we got much better options. And I think that's where we're probably going. Yeah, agreed. So Dr. Lighthizer, this was an awesome surgical minute. I want to be respectful of your time. Tell everybody as always where they can check you out and find you. Yeah, I'm at uh, the Oklahoma College of Optometry uh, here in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I am on LinkedIn um, and available uh, via that or um, any other means. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it.